to that, which is Galatians 5, 16 to 26, if you want to look those up as and follow them through, but the story in Acts first. Once upon a time, there was a great wind, a mighty life-giving energy that breathed everything into existence, a power that moved along the waters of the deep, the Spirit of God. One day, a group who loved God was praying and meeting, celebrating a Jewish feast with friends and family, unaware of what was going to happen. Heaven was about to pay a visit. A violent wind filled the room where they prayed. Tongues of fire descended, separated, and rested on each of them. The Spirit of God didn't just come near them. The Spirit filled them. And each one began to speak in a foreign language, the many languages of all the people who lived in Jerusalem. All those who passed by marveled at what they saw. How could it be that each one could hear their own native language at the same time? Some claimed it was miraculous. Others scoffed and called them drunk. But Peter stepped forward and boldly proclaimed the truth. What the scripture described long ago had now come to pass right before their eyes. I will pour out my spirit, the Lord told his people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Here was the moment. The power of God filled the faithful. The body of Christ rose up, alive and active, equipped and empowered to love God, to love others. The good news continues to be proclaimed. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the best news is, for those who believe, the story never ends. And our reading from Acts 5, 16 to 26. You can read along with me if you like. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing with each other, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. 
Pastor Peter. Good morning. I must say, doesn't this look fantastic? <laughs> what, a, what a great display. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we say uh, you are most welcome here. You are already here and we welcome you. We welcome you in our hearts. We welcome you in our minds. We welcome you in our bodies. We welcome you in our soul. We welcome you in our emotions. We welcome you to transform us. But above all, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to show us Jesus. To show us that by being in Jesus, we are secure, Father, in your love and in our identity as your sons and daughters. So illumine us, transform us, grow us, convict us, assure us, and release us. Amen. Someone asked me in the foyer before the service, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on opposites. Well, that is what I'm preaching on. If I look at the ministry of Jesus, I see that Jesus had a ministry where he moved in the opposite spirit. When people threw negative stuff at him, he didn't respond in the same spirit as the venom that was coming at him. But he turned it and he responded with a different spirit. Jesus moved in the opposite spirit and by moving in the opposite spirit, he was able to show people the heart of his father. And Jesus says many times, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so we know that, that God the father moves in ways that are opposite to the ways of the flesh, to the ways of uh, selfish introversion, to the ways of uh, power and corruption and more walking over other people. Some of you have heard the story about uh, when I was in a Southeast Asian country with Asia Focus teaching and we got raided by the immigration police and I got taken off and uh, put in a, in a room and interviewed for some period of time and quite uh, foreign to the turbulent emotions that were inside of me, I was just praying under my breath as you do when you're in a situation like that. Holy Spirit, I, I need you in this situation. And partway through, the interviewer stopped and he looked up and he said to me, uh, why aren't you angry? And I said, well, what is the point in getting angry? And he goes, everyone gets angry at me. He said, I can cancel your visa. He said, I can have you interred. And I said, yes, you can. But again, what, what good does it do? You're only doing your job. And he said again, uh, this is very strange. Everyone gets angry at me. And then he said once again, he said, what, what are you doing here? Why are you in this country? And I said to him, uh, what did I say at the beginning when you asked me that question? And, and he said, why are you asking me that? Well, I was asking because I wanted him to read it out. And I said, you wrote it down. And he went back to his notes and he said, you are sharing the love of God the Father through Jesus, uh, the love of God the Father's heart through Jesus. And uh, I, he, he said, is that correct? I said, yes, and, and that love includes you. You know, I don't always just ask my family, move in the opposite spirit. <laughs> but when we move in the opposite spirit, it opens up opportunities. It softens. It prepares the ground for 
uh, a receptivity to the good news of Jesus. Now, in our Bible reading from Galatians chapter 5, in the New Revised Standard Version, in verse 17, three times there's the word opposed. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. And then it says in the next verse, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. In other words, when we are led by the Spirit, we don't have to live a life where we are constantly opposed to the good things of God. And so again, in this translation, in many other translations, it starts with but. However, here in uh, the New Revised Standard Version, in introducing the fruit of the Spirit, it translates by contrast the fruit of the spirit is so there's the deeds of the flesh that are opposed to life in the spirit but then by contrast there's the life in the spirit and so this morning we're looking at how to move in the opposite spirit and the first way of moving in the opposite spirit is by knowing and celebrating and relishing the reality that the fruit of the spirit is not a commodity but it's the heart of God the Father himself. The fruit of the Spirit is the character and the nature and the essence of God. God is love. God is joy and a joy bringer. God is peace. God is patient. God is so kind, so generous, so faithful. He's the master at exercising self-control. God is gentle. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is the most gentle, kind, generous person that I've ever met. The Holy Spirit is so faithful. He brings the faithfulness of Jesus. There's a verse in, in 1 Timothy that, that says, you know, he is faithful when we're not. Yeah, how good is it to know that, that these aren't just commodities that you read in a self-help book? These aren't just the, the latest from uh, Tony Robbins or anyone like that. You know, five ways to win in life. No, what are they? Nine, nine ways to win in life. This is actually the, the heart of God. And so when we're moving in the opposite spirit, we're moving in the nature of God. We're moving in the essence of God. We're moving in the spirit of God. And because it's the spirit of God, secondly, that means there's no law against it. You know, I only realized that little verse uh, later in life. Many, many years ago, I learned the fruit of the Spirit off by heart. I get them a bit confused sometimes because I've learned them from different translations. Many years ago, I learned that, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, self-control, and those things. But, but that's where I put the full stop. And it's only... Uh, I don't know, some years ago that I learned the words that come next which are against such. There is no law. What does that mean? It means when you move in the opposite spirit, the devil and the flesh and other human beings, they've got no comeuppance against it. When you get angry at me and I respond with anger, there's a law for that. It's the law of reprisal. It's the law of getting even. And so often we operate in not just the law, but we operate in human laws. 
of bitterness and uh, regret. You know, there's a law that says when I meant to leave home at 25 to 8 this morning, but only left home at 20 to 8, it was bucketing down on the freeway so hard that I had the wipers on too and had to go slow. And then I was thinking, I'm going to be late. What if Merv really is crook and he's not there and I've got to lead the service as well? What's the law? The law is that uh, if I'd left at half past, I wouldn't have felt anxious coming down the front. There's all kinds of laws that we operate under, but there's no law that comes against peace. And so halfway down the freeway this morning, I'm going, so what if I'm late? They'll start. It'll happen. Ah, thank you, Holy Spirit. There's no law against that. And so when we operate in the fruit of the Spirit, when we operate with the character and heart of God, uh, demons flee, your flesh is subdued, peace comes in, and other people are open, whether they're interviewing you in in interrogation in Southeast Asia, or whether you're lying on one side of the bed facing that wall and she's lying on the other side of the bed facing that wall, there's a There's a Holy Spirit presence that brings a restoration. Some people say, well, how how can you live like this? Well, here's the good news. Thirdly, know that in Jesus, you already have all you need. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 18, as he's telling his disciples that he's getting ready to leave, he's going to leave by going to the cross and to the empty tomb. Then he's going to come back for a little while. Then he's going to leave again. And there'll be another little while. This little while's gone for 2,000 years so far. And then he's going to come back again. And the disciples are going, what? How are we going to get by without you? And he goes, it's okay. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And that says two things. Firstly, that we're not resourceless. We're not going to be left to our own devices. We're not going to be left to just sort of battle on and struggle. We're going to be given God's very nature and essence. But the reason he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans is because he gives us the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, the spirit of daughtership, where we know that we belong. We know that we have an identity outside of our performance, outside of our struggles, outside of our living conditions. We have an identity as his children. And so we've been joined to Christ and we live in Christ, which means Christ lives in us. And if Christ lives in us, that means the fruit of the Spirit has already been deposited into us. You don't have to go and find the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have to go and get them, they're there. Now, you may not be manifesting them. You may not be drawing on them, but they are there. It's part of your inheritance as a daughter, as a son. We are joint heirs with Christ. And if he is the very picture, if he's the very epitome of the fruit of the Spirit, if that's the character and essence and nature of God, and Jesus is the one who shows us the Father's heart, and you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you already have the fruit in you. We ask the Holy Spirit to enrich us and enable us, and we partner with him in applying the fruit that already exists. And so it's no excuse, I'm afraid, folks, when you just go, oh, I just don't have patience. Well, yes, you do. You may not be very good at applying patience. Here's a quote that I read a while ago. I asked the church to pray for me as I don't have any self-control. 
But then the Holy Spirit prompted me, saying to me, you've got me. So you already have all you need. People say to me, when did you learn this, Peter? Well, over our years of marriage, we've had uh, groups of people staying in our house. I was counting it uh, during the week for six years. You know, we had a couple of teenagers who, well, teenagers early 20s who were recovering drug addicts and didn't have anywhere to go uh, when we lived in Sydney. Uh, one moved in for one year. Well, she moved in for a week and the next week she brought a friend and a friend didn't have anywhere to stay. So they lived with us for two years and after that, uh, a lady who had been, um, well, that's another story. Anyway, she came and moved in and then when we were here over at the manse at Deborah Grove, someone came and lived with us for a year and then... We had uh, some family members live with us for a year and then we had some immediate family members live with us while they had renovations done. When they said, can we live with you for three months, I said, I've watched Grand Designs. (laughs) You can live with us for six months or more. (laughs) That's when I learned about the fruit of the Spirit. Because one minute you're the king in your castle and the next minute you're sharing space with other people. And... uh, If you don't know when you're doing that, that you already have this, it's going to go south very, very quickly. And so what moving in the opposite spirit is really uh, a life lesson in learning to take hold of what Father has already given you and already deposited within you, which is part of your inheritance. Now, to be sure, a big part of this is recognizing how you're responding recognizing how you're responding. The Bible's very helpful in reminding us uh, of how we respond. The works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then I like this one, and things like these. In other words, fill in the gaps. Look at your last week. And fill in the dots. You'll find plenty, I'm sure. What about disunity? That gets a big guernsey throughout Ephesians chapter 4. What about uh, things like envy and jealousy and um, wanting what other people have? That gets a big guernsey in the book of James. Quarrels. Gossip gets a go. You know, there's plenty of stuff that... Moving in the opposite spirit, actually, it actually takes, uh, it starts its journey with, with, with a good stock take. Not a stock take to put us down, not a stock take to uh, have us living in shame and, and guilt, but a stock take to say, you know, if, if, if it's true, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that you and I, as followers of Jesus, get to shine like stars in the world, then a good stock take is, how am I shining and what am I radiating? Now, this isn't, this isn't meant to make us uh, feel bad. This is meant to release us. Because then, once we've done the stock take, we get to surrender what isn't beneficial. What does surrender mean in this context? Well, surrender really has two two aspects to it. A surrender is a giving up. 
So I give up being angry. I give up. Look, uh, look, Jürgen, just between you and me, you know, don't tell anyone else. This isn't really gossip. <laughs> give it up. When you find yourself starting off with, look, just quietly, or don't tell anyone, you know you're going to gossip. Give it up. Surrender it. And then the other aspect of surrendering is a handing over. So you give up, as in you cease and desist, and then you hand over. In other words, you entrust it. Uh, one of the things I learned very early in prayer ministry is that very often people will come forward, and uh, I did this myself for many years, and, and, and they will say, you know, um, I recognize that, let's just stick with that, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm, I'm ang angry. I said, well, why don't you give that up to God? Dear Jesus, um, please take this anger, at which point I'll go very gently, um, please don't ask him to take it. Because why should he take what you may not be prepared to surrender? Why don't you hand it over to him and then he'll take it? He's such a gentleman, the Holy Spirit. He's not going to come and invade you and take from you necessarily what you're not prepared to give up. And so we surrender it to him. And the other aspect about surrender is when you surrender, you don't then determine the terms of surrender. That's what Jesus does. And the terms of his surrender are so beautiful because you hand it over to him and he gives you the opposite. And so it says just a few, few books in the Bible later in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, you get rid of the if-onlys and the yes-buts, you surrender, you relinquish, you hand over, and then you apply the fruit, the specific fruit that is the opposite of what you've surrendered. Okay? So, there's not just, there's, there's nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, but there's probably about 20 fruit of the Spirit in the Bible and, and more and more. Let's, let's just try out what I mean. What's the opposite of bitterness? Sorry? Sweetness. sweetness. Okay. So if someone gives you bitterness, I wonder what it would look like if you gave them sweetness back. What's the opposite of resentment? Acceptance, forgiveness. Do you know, I've discovered over my, my years that acceptance is an opposite to so many things. What's the opposite to judgmentalism? Acceptance. What's the opposite to bigotry? Acceptance. You look at the ministry and the life of Jesus and he accepts people. He accepts them where they're at. He accepts them uh, despite their failures. He tells one of his most famous parables about a son who comes back groveling before his father and the father just embraces the son and accepts him and gives gifts. The father gives the opposite to what the son is expecting. The son expects to go to the servants' quarters if he's let back in at all. The, the, the son thinks he's got to sneak back home but the father embraces him and accepts him and that's the way life is in the kingdom. What about meanness? The opposite of meanness would be generosity. The opposite of hate would be love. 
What about the opposite of frustration? Self-control, maybe, maybe patience, maybe peace. The opposite, of, the opposite of poverty would be sharing, would be generosity. Whatever negative thing there is, there is a fruit of the Spirit that is the opposite. And so when you surrender something, as part of your kingdom birthright, you receive, or you've already received it, you apply the opposite of what it is you've surrendered. So I surrender gossip. And Jesus, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, to speak well of people. So I receive from you, Holy Spirit, and partner with you in a journey of speaking well of other people. So you ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you've already given me that I can release into this situation that is the opposite of what I'm experiencing? So you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you feel some twinges in your body and you start contemplating your own mortality and then this all-encompassing all fear starts to come over you and you think, you know, one day I'm going to be dead and I'm not going to exist anymore and then it starts to come into a little bit of a panic attack. Do you just lie there in bed and let it consume you? Or do you go, I surrender fear to you, Jesus, and I receive your perfect love. And if Eastern religions can have mantras, why can't Christians? Because we... Holy Spirit invented it. So you just repeat it again and again. I receive your peace. For Jesus, you are peace. I receive your peace. For you are peace. Jesus, I receive your peace. For you are peace. It's moving in the opposite spirit. So uh, there's a friend of mine came to a, came to a conference that, uh, well, I didn't know him before he came to this conference. We'll call him Bill. And uh, been to the conference on Friday night, been to the conference on Saturday. It was a favoured conference. Never experienced anything like this before. Thought that uh, God gave him performance expectations to live up to, not grace to grow into. And just throughout the weekend became uh, open to the wonderful idea that, that God doesn't have any expectations of us at all, but Jesus has, has absolutely met everything. And it was uh, the, the Sunday after Easter and they still had a, a big cross up the front with flowers all around it standing there. And over here they had the baptism font. And at the end of the message, I asked people to come forward and surrender whatever was preventing them from living in favour. And then move over to the font, the baptism font, where all life begins again and receive the opposite. And I said, and the way to do this is just to ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you prompting me with that is preventing me from living fully in your favour? And then I said, just take note of what thought, what feeling, what emotion jumps into your head. And then when you come to the font, pick up the opposite of what it was that you relinquished. Okay. What's my mate's name? Bill, thank you. Bill... <laughs> Bill, uh, Bill saw me a week later at another conference on a different topic and Bill came up and he said, uh, my life changed last weekend and last week. And I said, well, wait till morning tea, Bill, and tell me about it. So at morning tea, Bill said, um, yeah, he was on the committee in the congregation and so he thought he'd better come up the front because people were looking at him and he said, I don't hear from God and I don't do this stuff and I certainly don't pray like that. Uh, 
But I'll go forward because people expect me to and maybe I'll just stand there for a minute and then I'll stand there for a minute and I'll go back to my seat. But he got there and he thought, well, I may as well ask. So I asked, is there anything that's stopping me from growing and moving in your favour? And the first word that came to Bill's head was the word reticent. Reticent, you know, being um, timid, not brave, shy, reserved, uh, almost fearful. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. And so he went over to this side and he asked the Holy Spirit, well, what's the opposite of being reticent? And he heard, not reticent. <laughs> so he said, I receive, not reticent. And he went back to his seat. And that's all he thought about it until Wednesday night. Wednesday night was small group night. Their small group had started off as a Bible study night, but had sort of morphed into a, a friendly wine and cheese evening. And, and he was quite comfortable with that. And the leader would lead a little study and then pray and ask if other people wanted to pray, but no one ever did. And this particular night, Bill prayed out loud for the first time in his life. Now, this isn't saying that you have to pray out loud. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, what did he surrender? Reticence. What did he pick up? Not reticence. What happened Wednesday night? He broke through reticence. I was on the phone this last week with a, with a person, and uh, this person's been going through some, some marriage struggles, but things have been growing wonderfully, wonderfully well. And uh, I was prompted to ring this person as I was preparing this message because I wanted to ring him and I just said, I want you to know that I'm proud of you because you've rung me when all the bad doo-doo's been going down. And I said, I'm proud of you because you've, you haven't met like with like. You haven't met fire with fire. But you've sought as best you can in the power of the Holy Spirit to meet it with softness and gentleness. And he said to me, Funny you should ring and tell me today that you're proud of me. He said, I came in this morning and he said, I just got met with coldness and venom and you haven't done this and you haven't done that and you should have done this and you shouldn't do that. And he said, I just got up and walked out of the room and she said to me, where are you going? And he said, oh, I just need a little break um, in the room, pointing in the general area of the bathroom. I'll be back in five minutes. And he went into the bathroom and shut the door, but he didn't need to use the bathroom. And he just said, Holy Spirit, I just want to lash out. And I want to say this and I want to say that. And I want to say this and I want to say that. I surrender to you. Jesus, you were like a sheep that before its shearer is dumb. And you trusted yourself to the one who judges justly. I place myself in your hands now. And I need you to give me a softness that I don't have in myself. And he went back in. And he didn't get angry. And he didn't get mad. And he didn't get even. But he was just soft. And then he did the school run. And when he came back, the breakfast that she had made for herself was sitting at his plate. And he said, what's this? And she said, I saw you watching me make my breakfast and not make you anything. And then while you were out, said, I just felt convicted that I've been so selfish. And so here's your breakfast. And he said, she hasn't made me breakfast for so long, I can't remember. Now, here's the thing. Just imagine if he'd responded in the flesh when things were going south. He might be on my couch. <laughs> Do 
Why preach this message on Pentecost? Because the Holy Spirit isn't just an attraction. The Holy Spirit isn't a commodity. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that engages with you in a real way to help you soar in life and to enable you to shine like stars in the world. And my final point is this. Allow time for the fruit of Father's love to grow in you and in others. Today, for some of you, this message is just, yep, thank you, that's good confirmation of how I've been going. For others of you, it's, I wonder, is this possible? Then a seed has been planted in you. And as that seed grows, a shoot will go down, shoot will come up, roots will grow down, a shoot will come up, a, a, a shrub will grow, and fruit will eventually appear on that in time. But today a seed is being planted. Don't beat yourself up when you don't see the fruit that you would like straight away. But water the seed, nurture it, get into the word of God. That's where you find the opposites. You don't read to get through the Bible in a year. You read to grow in the love that is already yours. And then as you respond in the opposite spirit, don't expect that someone is going to soften straight away like my little story about the breakfast. It may take years as that seed sends out its roots and grows and prospers. But in all of this time, the Holy Spirit is with you in the journey. Amen. Amen. Remain seated.